Hello and welcome to the Evolving Hockey Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm joined by the Evolving Wild Twins, Josh and Luke. And tonight we have a special guest with us. We'll get to that later. Um, We got Charlie O'Connor somehow, uh, writer for The Athletic. He covers the Flyers to uh, come talk to us tonight. And I think we had a, a great conversation. Yeah, Yeah. it was really, really fun. Uh, We are recording this after we've already talked with Charlie. We thought that our segment was going to be a little shorter, but as Sean likes to point out, Luke and I have a uh, penchant for talking. It was Uh, you asked you asked him about music at the end. We were at the time limit, and then you asked him about music, and so we talked. You know, you got to keep it light, you know. But uh, so we went a little longer. So this is not going to be a very long segment. I apologize if you were expecting if you uh, just wanted to hear us talk but uh charlie's much more interesting than the three of us anyway so stick around uh what how long are we doing this for are we done already no we'll do <laughs> all right we'll nothing do a few minutes like nothing happened this week so let's go listen <laughs> what to you charlie mean nothing happened this week? like there's like a I'm billion kidding. teams that clinched for the playoffs the, the Lukes, wild uh, yeah. the lukes the lukes the leafs uh set a franchise record 50 wins a lot of teams have set r- records this season i feel like right like didn't colorado break their win record too yeah, I'm, pretty, um, I'm sure. Probably like, point record, too. Johnny Goudreau is on his way to breaking the plus-minus record, maybe. <laughs> St. Louis Blues are hot. Right now they got a plus-69 goal differential as we talk. That's nice. <laughs> Did you tweet that out from the volume hockey account, Sean? No. Well, that's that like the seems... standings one, too. And like, oh, I see. Somehow they have that... 10. So I was thinking about the this Blues? the other day. There's so many teams with like so many loser points, it's not even funny. The yeah. Anaheim Ducks have 14 loser points they are 30 33 and 14 for 74 points and it's like they've lost 14 games and i actually i have looked into that for our team for our point projections it's kind of funny to get the point projections to actually line up you know what i don't know if people know this probably not because it's a small detail but we basically assign random loser points for each team in a season i mean because it's kind of fair there's there's no correlation no, but for it, like a, a, if a team is good or if they're bad, there's no correlation with how many loser points they get. It's just completely random. Yeah. So here's how I like went down that thought. Maybe it was like the LA Kings, right? They're sitting here as we speak, uh, third in the Pacific with 90 points in 77 games, and Vegas sits outside the wild card at 87 points in 76 games. But like. LA has 10 overtime losses. Well, Vegas only has five. So LA's got a negative goal differential and they're in a playoff <laughs> spot. And then Vegas has still got like a plus 18 goal differential. And like, you know, they're 41 and 35 if you want to think about it like that. And like LA is only 40 and 37. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's like, who's I'd... more deserving here? <laughs> well, I. I the, mean, the, the Knights have dropped hard in our playoff probabilities. Like, because we're lately. closing in on, on yeah. us. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think they scarce. were down to like thirty five percent. Where they like even the couple days before that they were at like seventy or something, and like they've had a couple of rough losses and they're um, at forty percent right now. Forty percent, okay. The Kings are at but 72%, yeah, it is funny. Well, so. I mean that was an old thing. People talking get rid of the loser point. We haven't heard that discussion come up in a while. But yeah, go to the what was it? What one two three? three? No, the three two one point system yeah, isn't three, that two, one. the pr- one proposed? Well, that, the three two one incentivizes trying to win in regulation. Like it doesn't yeah. really get rid of like the the whole thing with like the loser point, but it's like if you're late in a game, if you're if it's two minutes left in a game and it's a tie game in in the regular season, like I guess you'd have to think about is like how 
if you make an aggressive play like the uh giving up a goal is just gonna like shut you out of the rest of the game right so it's like yeah it's so volatile right because you're coming up so close to the end just like how the point projections are volatile right now that yeah. it's like you're best to just play really boring hockey and that's not exactly what we want we always want to have exciting hockey yeah. and two teams playing um to score on the other net to threaten i like i like how micah uses threat as a uh as a, oh, as a term metric term yeah he's like <laughs> threatening threatening the other goaltender i love yeah. that i love that, <laughs> that i think is, i mean they should really just take away the the shootout and make overtime 10 minutes right isn't that what i think would would help everything so then i mean that's I, how I, I would rather them bring back tie i would like to see them bring oh, back ties, ties. Yeah. because again yes. because there's an end in sight um which you can only get one point or more points like well you know basically i think if it's a tie and you both get one point or if you lose you get one point then it incentivizes you trying to get the two points in a three two one system so like that extra points you'd still play extremely aggressive or you'd be incentivized to play extremely aggressive because what else you you can't lose anything you could only gain i think that'd be good but yeah yeah. i would like to see i think what now with coaches um, you know, as if people have been saying, coaches have ruined three on three overtime. I think that because it seems like the, they've slowed the game down, the three on three overtimes have been much like slower. That I think a ten minute three on three overtime with ties would kind of be my preferred situation. I, that is my personal opinion. I think I what still would be better five on five. You think overtime five on five? Uh, five on five or four on four but like there's too much space to there's too much space in the three on three i get why people like it but at the same time it allows it to be a possession game and to me that like slows it down whereas like there's nowhere to hide on five on five hockey and like to some extent like four on four and then use the points use the point system to make it more aggressive hockey and it keeps everything more pure too yeah no, I, I agree. I think what they actually need to do is is uh, make uh, 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 they need to lower the threshold for three three man uh, penalty kill so that they can have two <laughs> two and one one team. That's really what they need to do to incentivize players. If, if well, you, what you're on a five on three and there's an infraction, it goes but to five so, on two. We don't need more goals. There's so many goals now. I know that is. I'm I'm joking. I, I I've been meaning to actually go look into that because I keep seeing all these tweets about how high goal scoring is. Well, now well, it's over Micah, six. Micah, it's over six goals yeah. a game now. That's I know. Absurd. Michael was tweeting about this earlier, and he mentioned uh, that there was a similar bump. It was it in 2017 or 2017, 2018, um, and how his theory at the time was that it was like that was the last round of the year before was when a lot of um, of the old fighters and enforcers had kind of been phased out of the league, and that was like the then after that was the first year that you know. And but he said, well, that didn't happen this year. Um, I don't know. I it's something that we haven't looked into. In well, because it's not even like normally. I'm checking to to see like shot rates and expected goal rates just to verify that our models are doing. You know, well, Corsi isn't a model. It's that's in the events, but they could be tracking something differently. But goals are literally there's no discrepancy. There's no interpretation on what is or isn't a goal, right? It's like it either is or isn't a goal, and, and there's no subjective. It's completely objective. And the fact that goals scoring is just go <laughs> could be outside well, yeah. or goaltender interference. Okay, so. yeah, but I'm just saying it would be interesting to kind of look at and take a deep dive into why goal scoring is up. Because I would be, I was looking, and I don't think there's they're not calling any more penalties than they have in the past. Like it's penalties have been s- stable, 
And so I maybe look at like percentage of, of power play time. Like may I don't I don't really know, but it's just a very odd thing that goal scoring has been going up. So. Well, it's interesting if you look at like the goals for versus XG for this year. The difference is pretty kind of in line with what it's been in the last. You know, because usually expected goals for is a little bit lower than the actual goals for, which is I think I. I generally account for that for like the missing information that we don't have in the model. So like essentially that the expected the expected goals model can't fully capture the actual goal scoring environment because we're missing some data. But um, it's interesting that they're both kind of in line. They're just all way up from what they've been the last like. Um, ah, well, I mean, like yeah, eighteen nineteen was still pretty high too. Um, and so we're I don't know. It'll be interesting once the season. Fu- uh, I guess ends and we we have now the we have the full season if that's kind of but I don't know there's only like what six games left of the season yeah there's like six games left for each team it's like a little less like, crazy yeah four to four to eight games anyway right. what else happened this week I do we should we just get to our guest we probably should oh, Mar- but I will make a, a statement before our guest comes on because I was thinking about it when we had that conversation and this kind of relates to the goal scoring but like Claude Giroux was it seventeen eighteen season where he yeah. should have won the heart but Taylor Hall mm-hmm. won it. One of the most underrated seasons we have oh, yeah. ever seen, because he still holds like the X car or not the X car because he didn't the X bar record because goals were more scarce at that point. Without yeah. a doubt, one of the most underrated seasons. He should have won the heart, and uh, maybe he'll want to stay in the cup this year instead. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about how underrated Giroux is. I think from I mean, I don't think I don't know if he was underrated. I just think people don't know exactly how good he was or is. Um, Kind of, it's like kind of the same thing with Pavelski. I think. I think about it similarly, where they're both just kind of. Well, they're similar in that they are now old, so people just yeah. assume they're not as good anymore, right? Like, but they <laughs> haven't dropped off like no, really. They're still really, really good. Well, yeah, and Pavelski. What is the? Is it Pavelski Robertson hints now? Yeah. Is that the line? Yeah. In Dallas, they're single-handedly dragging the <laughs> Dallas Stars into the playoffs this year. And then I guess I is it Heiskanen? Heiskanen? I I've heard multiple pronunciations of this recently. And then Klingberg, who I mean, the, the Wild and Stars had a great game. Was it last week? Um, and uh, yeah, that's an interesting. That'll be an interesting topic in the off season. Was Klingberg where yeah. Klingberg ends up? Seattle. Um, <laughs> Seattle. There's Sean's. He's putting Marshawn's bringing them. I'm telling you. I know. Yeah, that that <laughs> was see the... that was the big hockey news. It just doesn't really relate yeah. to yeah. us. That Marshawn Lynch and yes, Macklemore are like uh, part of the. Uh, Kraken ownership group now. So. Did you see he did, he him driving the Zamboni around today? Did you see that video? Yeah, Marshawn. Yes. Oh, it was yeah. incredible. That was great. <laughs> I mean, it. I didn't really like it because uh, it had a uh, Starbucks uh, logo on it. But um, you know, I understand business is business. But um, yeah, they can't hold us back now. You're too dry, Sean. Do you know that? Has anybody told you that you're too dry? Your humor is too dry to the point that people might not understand it. Yes. Well, no. Like it's it's very like dad humorous, I guess. But yes. But you don't laugh at yourself ever. No, I so laugh at myself. So like I'll tell a joke and like nobody will laugh, but I will laugh. Yeah, but you you give it a little bit of time just to see if it, you'll get a reaction. I, the, yeah. the problem is I tell it with a straight face. Like you can't is, tell yes. whether I'm joking or not any no, any no. time. I could have been Some, an actor or something. Sometimes I've I've wondered if if you've like done a bit that we haven't caught on to in the podcast and we've just agreed with you and then you're like, oh well that that was a joke, but I never said anything about it, so they just agreed with the joke that I had. <laughs> no, but you it's that's that's my problem in like in life is I don't think people know whether I'm joking or not because I can keep the straight face and it's like. <laughs> I don't know. I like my own yeah. humor, though. You got to make I yourself think we laugh. Just, 
Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, we need to. We need to. Uh, yeah. So to we'll hand we'll over. um we'll probably have a message from our sponsor, and then I hope everybody enjoys this conversation with Charlie O'Connor. I really enjoyed it. I know you guys did. Uh, hopefully, yeah. Charlie enjoyed it. I know we kind of like kidnapped him, but um, yeah, <laughs> we did go a little long. We we, did. we didn't kidnap him. So I I just want to we 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 had a conversation not. with him. Technically not. <laughs> yes. Not <laughs> technically. <laughs> The Evolving Hockey Podcast is brought to you by EvolvingHockey.com, your home for advanced NHL statistics on the web. When you become a subscriber to EvolvingHockey.com, you gain access to such evaluation tools as NHL Goals Above Replacement, Regularized Adjusted Plus Minus, Skater Contract Projections, Visualizations, Charts, and much more. Visit Evolving-Hockey.com slash login today to become a subscriber. Welcome to our special guest, Charlie O'Connor. He writes uh, and covers. He writes for the Athletic, and he covers the uh, the Flyers. So, how are you, Charlie? Doing okay. Thanks for uh, for having me, guys. <laughs> yeah. Full disclosure: This is our second start uh, or our second take of the of the opening here. So we're you know we're, we like to be transparent about our um, about our podcast about our failures. <laughs> yes, it's always it's it's an it's a work in progress. Whip yeah. as we call and, it in accounting. And and Charlie, I, I I think that we well we're now in a trend where we our guests have been people we've known for a bit here, but we all were at one point or another on in, in hockey graphs. This was a long time ago, and I was kind of curious when. Um, just for our listeners, that's kind of how we first got to know Charlie a little bit. But how like when did you first start with hockey graphs? Um, I want to say well, I started with the Athletic in 2017, so I'm guessing oh, wow. hockey graphs. I I joined in like 2016, probably like the year before. So I believe 2016 was the summer I did my penalty kill tracking project, and I think that's when um, you know when when people asked if I wanted to be with hockey grass and in fairness I didn't do that much for hockey grass I think I did one story or one one analysis um and then uh just due to my own you know insecurities about not feeling good enough to be in hockey grass I didn't do anything else and then I got the athletic job and I couldn't be in hockey grass anymore anyway so it didn't matter but um but it was it was still nice to you know to be part of the community for uh you know, for, for that period of time and, and publish a story on it definitely yeah, so you would have been. I'm trying to think, Luke. We what we joined was it 2017? I think. Uh, yeah, I think it was March of yeah. 2017. The three yeah. of us all, Sean, Luke, and I, all joined at the same time. It was actually Sean's. Have we talked about this on the podcast? Have, I asked not, you. I asked you to join, but we can go over that another. <laughs> okay, another, yeah, another time, another yeah. time. But so Charlie, so kind of we're kind of wondering, I guess, to just to give our listeners some background for you. Like, how did you start kind of getting in? Because you're. Like, are you technically a beat writer? Is that yeah, what? Yeah, I, I think my official title is staff writer, but it's okay. essentially a beat writer. Even though I don't write stories on like every game and publish an article every single day like a traditional beat writer does. But yeah, I, yeah. I'm basically a beat writer. Okay, so like, I, I would say that you are one of the writers who maybe has a little bit more history with working with hockey data and kind of incorporating that into some of your stories. I just maybe from my general, like you've done some of the advanced stance primers for the athletic. I think those are really important if people haven't checked those out. They're great intros into kind of modern hockey statistics and kind of going over some, you know, just very in a very well or done very well way. I think there's two parts and they're yeah. still on the athletic, right? Yeah, they're so both like still how, there. 
like where did you get your start working with hockey data like what was kind of your first start with it what kind of what drew you to it and kind of how how were you in, became interested in kind of hockey statistics and hockey data yeah, sure. So, you know, when I was in college, this was back in like the late 2000s, um, I started really getting into like baseball sabermetrics and whatnot. And I think that was probably like the beginning intro because I was already open to the concept of, you know, advanced stats, analytics, whatnot. Um, that was right around the time the Phillies were really good. So I was just trying to digest everything I could about baseball because I wanted to, you know, be an expert on this really good Philadelphia Phillies team. Um, so then... I kind of got sucked in from there because I've always been a huge hockey fan. Like I'm not a new hockey fan. I've been a hockey fan since I was like seven or eight years old um, and always, you know, grew up in Philadelphia. So always loved the Flyers. And I found Broad Street Hockey. And at the time, there was this guy who wrote there named Jeff Detweiler. Um, and then after Jeff, Eric Tulski, who was a commenter at Broad Street Hockey way back in the day, got picked up to be a full-time like writer slash columnist at BSH. And I just like inhaled all the stuff they did because they were both very much in the like, I mean, obviously Eric Tulski, everybody knows him, but but Jeff was very much in the like the behind the net era, like with uh, with Gabriel Desjardins yeah. and, and everything. Um, so he was kind of one of the first uh, major bloggers, uh, you know, for like a team blog that was into it along with like the Edmonton writers and, and whatnot. Um, so I read all their stuff, you know, became a commenter. And then when I graduated college, um, I started my own blog and just kind of, you know, tried to take what I had learned from, from all the stuff they had written and obviously still continue to read everything they wrote. I, you know, read Eric's stuff religiously and you know, started my own blog. And then, um, after a couple of months, I got picked up by a bigger blog, again, still writing for the Flyers, but a blog that could credential me to go to games. So I sort of kind of fell into the niche of like, I'm going to, you know, use data to analyze the Flyers and that's going to be, be my niche. And then I guess it would have been in, I want to say 2014 was when I actually got offered to write for Broad Street Hockey and wasn't, I wasn't making any money, but it was, I mean, I was ecstatic because that was the site that kind of got me into hockey analysis in the first place. And I think at the time Eric was still writing, or at the very least he was like still connected with BSH, uh, whether it was like he was doing consulting at the time uh, for Carolina or if he hadn't even reached that point. I know he had a an SB Nation blog for a while called Outnumbered, so it might have been that era. But I got to know Eric, you know, through that, you know, through the BSH community. Um, and then 2015, 2016, I used to work in marketing. I was a, an account manager, essentially. And I made the decision going into the 2015, 2016 season that I was basically going to quit my job, more or less. I ended up working part-time at my company, still managing a few accounts. But I was going to essentially quit my job and just really pursue the idea of covering the flyers close to full time with a heavy analytics slant in a way that I didn't think, you know, many people aside from like maybe James Myrtle with the, with the Maple Leafs was doing at the time. And I wrote it all for BSH. You know, I, I covered the team on basically on a daily basis. I tracked exits, entries, um, you know, everything, you know, along with writing about the team almost every day and doing, you know, columns after every game and whatnot, very analytically fo focused. And that just kind of became my niche. And, uh, and then from there, you know, I, I, you know, got picked up by hockey graphs, did I think one, one analysis at, at hockey graphs and, you know, gain more and more, I guess, hopefully credibility in the industry. Um, and then in 2017, when the, uh, when the athletic expanded to Philadelphia, um, I interviewed for, for that job and, you know, 
to, to to my good fortune, they uh, they felt like I was worth hiring, and I've been been covering the team as the uh, the only Flyers writer there ever since. So you really have been around for almost the entire development of like modern hockey analysis, more or less. Yeah, I missed the very beginning, probably. Like, I, I definitely had some catching up to do with with behind the net. But I mean, I've certainly seen us go from you know. Corsi is the only thing that matters to to expected goals to to models to RAPM to you know you know GAR. So yeah, I've I, I've seen the full uh, the rise and fall of many personalities in the uh, <laughs> in the analytic the hockey analytics well, world without a doubt. And we were just talking. I don't remember if this was on the last episode, but kind of covering. I think there's a lot. So in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of um, I think just a lot of new people who've kind of come into hockey you know analytics and statistics. And there's also been this kind of more or less over the last five years, a lot of almost like an exodus of a lot of the old kind of the now there's a lot of people who used to be on Twitter who used to write on blog who or for blogs or, or article that are now working for teams. Sure. Um, and so we kind of covered this recently, just try to explain some of the differences that kind of the I guess the analysis has gone through, I guess the ways in which people evaluate hockey is have changed. But even for us, we're I mean, we I think, yeah, we've said that we basically got into like hockey stats like in 2016. So I, I had been following it for several years before that i mean and we're it's kind of funny we have a similar where we we got into hockey stats because we were also baseball fans with like kind of the sabermetrics background so it was an interesting coming into it from that way with that background um but i was just kind of curious like what do you like i like what's something that you as somebody with all this history in the kind of in the field or like what's one of the big things that you've seen that's changed in the way that people are evaluating um i guess just hockey in general and then how people are writing it maybe like how you have changed over the years as well if, if you can maybe comment on that no it's a good question um i mean obviously there's there's details of it that, is, that have changed you know as i mentioned you know back in the behind the net era it was all we really had was was Corsi, and the way it was measured was different um you know then you obviously had things like extra skater and it's just it's changed so much now you have evolving hockey um you know corsica so many um so the you know the the, the sites change over the years um, I definitely think, you know, th- you know, thinking back to the way it was in the early 2010s, and I know we talk about, you know, obviously there's going to be major disagreements with the, uh, you know, the, the, the hockey world consensus and whatnot, but there are significantly fewer than there were back then, because back then it truly was an outsider movement. Uh, you know, it was absolutely just a few bloggers plugging away and making snarky comments on Twitter, which wasn't even (laughs) fully established back then. Like it was a thing and I remember being on it, but it certainly wasn't what it is now. It was, it was very much a, uh, you know, kind of a movement in its infancy. And, you know, whereas now you'll have like, you know, an Elliot Friedman when analyzing the rest of the line and trade and contract will be like, you know, well, obviously everybody that's in in analytics doesn't like them. It's like, that's the kind of lip service that like wouldn't even, it wouldn't even have been played. It wouldn't even (laughs) have been brought up by someone like Elliot. It would just be like, well, you know, hockey men think he's great because he hits people. And, you know, now at at the very least, the perspective is given, you know, maybe not equal weight, but it's given legitimate weight in the industry. Um, both on the on the team side and then obviously on the media side as well, and and that's in part because teams take it more seriously, but it's also in part because more people are getting into the media side who have taken this seriously for a really long time, and it's not just all old heads that think all this stuff is is trash and they can you know tell everything they need to tell just by talking to players and watching games. 
And I guess on the flip side, my I it just kind of popped in my head. Is there something that you remember as being I, like you mentioned, and this is was definitely the case. Like shot attempts used to be kind of the only thing that people would use back in the day. But is there anything that used to be prevalent, maybe back in the early teens or you know early 2010s, or maybe even five or six years ago, that isn't as prevalent now that you think is something that maybe we we could use a little bit more, or has maybe fallen to the wayside for not a good reason. I don't know. That's that's such a tough question. I think most of the stuff that's fallen by the wayside is has fallen by the wayside for good reasons. I think it's it's generally speaking a, a pretty efficient. Um, you know, I mean, I, I hesitate to call it an industry because I don't think it's quite an industry, <laughs> but it, it's yeah. more just a community. I think it's a fairly efficient community in terms of understanding. You know what. Um, you know, what works and, and what doesn't and, and which ideas have become outdated. Um, I think there is something maybe to be said about like, you know, not letting the basics of, you know, just straight, you know, shot attempt percentage, expected goals, four percentage, like not letting those basic things be completely superseded by the big models because everybody has to start somewhere. And if you're explaining something in an article about, you know, like, Patrice Bergeron, you know, maybe it's not a bad thing to throw in like, you know, his insane expectacles for percentage rather than just hitting them with RAPM, um, which requires someone to jump through about three additional hoops to fully understand what that means. Um, so maybe there's there's a little bit of that. But in all honesty, I think the people that are that are writing about it, most of the people, at least the ones that have platforms, like they have an implicit understanding that you can't just like jump right to the hard stuff unless that's your only audience. If you're trying to write for a general audience, you have to kind of hold people's hand through this stuff because not everybody is into it as, is into it as we are. And that's something that has to be acknowledged. But, you know, as the stuff gets more and more advanced, we can't lose sight of the fact that not everyone is on that advanced level and you can't leave people behind. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's one of the things that we often struggle with is how to kind of connect those um, you know, kind of the on ice, the raw on ice results, right? Yeah. And then kind of taking it up in terms of um, complexity. I think that's kind of one of the things I really liked about your kind of advanced hockey stats primer is that you kind of started with the, okay, here's the on ice metrics and then kind of scale up to maybe relative, relative to team, relative to teammate type metrics, and then maybe go up a step, which I think... <laughs> I this is something I used to talk was Delta Corsi D Corsi. Oh God, Birch had. yeah, Birch. <laughs> I don't know. Oh uh, God, I uh, totally forget. It's funny he's still on Twitter, right? Because I yeah. I, ne I never followed him, and now he's he's locked, so I just don't yeah. see him pop up in my discourse anymore. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure he's still doing his thing. Yep. Oh yeah, and uh, I don't think he's done D Corsi or Delta Corsi. Just a quick aside for. Well, it's kind of complicated. I actually, it was one of the things when we were starting that we I replicated. So I actually made our own Delta Corsi model. Okay. Um, I don't know, Sean, if you remember I, that. No, I did the same thing for, <laughs> oh, my, did you? for my senior high school project. And not to make you guys <laughs> feel old, but that was like my senior project. I like redid it. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Because, yeah, it was really, because it was, it's a, so any. This is a side quick tangent here, but Delta keep it, Corsi. Keep it short. We have a guest here. Like, I know. You know. Delta Corsi <laughs> was a model that Stephen Birch um, created that essentially would make a it was a like a, a linear regression that would predict what a player's Corsi four percentage should like would be given some several external factors. So sure. it would look at, I think their teammates, 
Corsi and I, I would it's been years since I looked into it, but essentially it would get a number that was like an expected Corsi four percentage based on a linear regression that was predicting um, a player's Corsi four percentage. And then it would be the difference between that expected. Well, it's funny to say expected now because I think that it were predicted Corsi four percentage minus their actual on ice Corsi four percentage. And so if the difference there um, was higher, that player, it, it's kind it, of like it a was an overly transfer. simplified RAPA model. Yes. Essentially. Essentially, that's kind of what it was. But I always, in my head, I always thought about it like on ice, raw results, relative to teammate, Delta Corsi, then RAPM or an RAPM type model. And that was the kind of hierarchy of complicatedness for and, on ice and results. And I think full yeah. disclosure, I think for our, because I'm not sure if, if you have um, if you saw it, we've done a couple glossary series on the podcast here. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we maybe just followed like your exact structure. Yeah, I think we <laughs> like I, I think that we just like, oh, we'll just tear it here. And then I remember like looking through a lot, because there's, you did, I think yours are really good, but even like a long time ago, there were a lot of you know primers that I I went yep. back and looked over because we were kind of looking at how we should frame this. And I remember like you had kind of summarized it in a way, and I'm like, oh, we'll just steal Charlie's uh, <laughs> organization for doing this. And we haven't we haven't we've gotten into the what do we have? We have three of them now. Um, anyway, we're on a long tangent. I'm gonna yeah. okay to get back on a tangent, to get back. Josh. So yeah. I, 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 I believe we. I know. Hey, well, it's the two of hey, us. Come on now. <laughs> uh, so now that you, I mean, you've obviously you're a very seasoned writer at this point, and you're one of the like I think one of the um, you know early like uh, since the blog days. I mean, I, I I remember like I read so many of those Broad Street articles back in the day as well. Um, I was just kind of curious, like now that you're writing for the Athletic and you're much more of a um, you know like a daily kind of coverage type, uh, I guess writer. Uh, what's something that that you find that fans contis- consistently like ha- that you find yourself having to explain like in a data sense, like how like something that you're writing about or trying to use for an uh, evaluation is something that fans struggle with to understand even still today. Um, I mean, I think the like I, I've been using obviously RAPM a lot. You know, because I think it's it's the best way we have right now to to isolate impact. And I think, you know, having that, you know, it's obviously not the full way to measure value because, you know, even strength uh, impact isn't everything. Um, but it's a big part and, and it's a single number and you can you can put it in an article and, and cite it and that's good. Um, but I do think that a lot of people don't fully grasp the concept that like it, you know, it does control for all the factors that people cite when they say like, yeah, but that doesn't account for this. It's like, well, actually it does. And that's the entire point. And if it <laughs> didn't, I wouldn't be using it. Not to say yeah. that it does a perfect job because, you know, the model isn't perfect. There's things that it might miss, but it's it's certainly trying and it's not it's not ignoring all the, the nitpicky things that are said. You know what I mean about yeah. metrics and about models when people are trying to discredit them, and I run into that sometimes where it's just like, well, you know, it just doesn't show, you know, the real value that Rasmus Alignment has, and it's like, well, I mean, there, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, there's, I'm not denying that intangible value exists on some level, but it is actually controlling for a lot of the things that you claim it doesn't control for. Yeah, it's and it's funny because we, I find that too, is that it's the same thing as like when we say something and it's like. It's hard for me being so close to the actual, you know, table and like the actual statistics and data that goes into it to it really be like, but yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it's like, well, here, here it is. It's right there. It's doing that, you know? And I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Um, that's, that's just funny. Well, 
I don't know if you want to talk about Ristolainen. We've talked about Ristolainen. <laughs> I mean, a lot. I'm happy to talk about the guy. <laughs> well, so, Charlie, so, I got to know. I got a question on that. Yeah, sort you of jump in. Line is like someone who is around the Flyers all the time. You're around hockey men, if you will. Like, what's the in your time covering the Flyers for the Athletic or beforehand? What's like the best thing you've learned from either like a player or a coach from your access that you have? Um. You know, the one thing I will say about having the access that I have now in comparison to where it was, you know, say when I was back at Broad Street Hockey covering the team on a daily basis, but purely as an outsider. You know, I was around the team, but I certainly didn't have, like, people wanting to talk to me to the degree they they do now. Um, You do get a better understanding of the fact that, like, some of these decisions, and I'm not saying all, some of of the decisions are just, just... bad but some of the decisions that are made that seem really bad from the outside are made because of bits of information that we just don't have access to and 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 there is important background information about player personalities about you know okay why isn't this player used in this in this situation or why hasn't this player been removed from this situation it's because they're afraid that that player would respond negatively and then it would make the rest of his game suffer so that's why he's using that situation it's not because they're dumb it's because they see the same data we're looking at but they're viewing the the negative impact of doing it on some other level to be greater than the gains that will be made numerically by by making said change and those are the the kinds of of contextual things that I didn't have access to before. And it does, it does lend perspective, more perspective to decisions. And and it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to agree with the decision. You know, I might still disagree with it, but I'm not going to be as critical. Like I'm not going to be as mean about it per se, Um, (laughs) because I at least like, I, I, I look at it as I disagree with it, but I at least see where you're coming from. Whereas before, you know, five, six years ago, I wouldn't have seen where they were coming from. I would just think they're just wrong and they're just dinosaurs who don't understand that, you know, like putting, you know, a good power play defenseman on the power play is a good idea and don't use them on the second unit when the power play defenseman on the first unit isn't that good on the power play by every metric we have. Um, So it's just those are the things where, you know, you, you learn to... The more information you have, and this is the case with data too, but it's also the case with with covering a team. The more information you have, the the more you have to acknowledge how little you really know, and it definitely puts you in a position where you know I get criti- cr- criticized from people in the stack community, you know, around the flyers that like you're not as as tough on the team as you used to be, and that's probably true to a degree, but it's in part because I just know more. Like before I could be a jerk because I was basically just basing what I, you know, my, my opinions and my analysis on the numbers supplemented by whatever I was seeing on the ice with my eye test. Whereas now when you're getting tons of background information about the whys that go into certain decisions, you know, even if you're still, you still disagree with the decision, you're not going to be as biting in your critiques of those decisions because you at least understand where they were coming from when they made them. And I, I guess follow like you've been following. Well, how many years have you been following the Flyers now? Like five? Or, I mean, like covering it with the Athletic five now. Covering twenty seventeen, yeah, right? 20, 2017. 2017, yeah. 
So during that time, and I guess even before then, I mean, it, but specifically since you've had access, like, have you seen the team? And I don't know how much you can comment on this, but like, how has their usage of, I guess, data or information just in any way changed? Do you think in the last five years? I mean, have you seen an evolution from the organization um, in any kind of way, or right. is like it at still, least what's available eh. publicly? Yeah, what you don't have to say anything if it, no, you can't no, share. no, it's, it's a fair question, and you know, it's it, it's a fair question. It's just a tough one to answer because. You know, five years ago, Ron Hextall was the general manager of the Flyers, and Ron Hextall was trying to grow his analytics department, but then his analytics department would tell him something and he would ignore it. And <laughs> But, but, but then, then you say, like, well, Chuck Fletcher historically has been more open to listening to his analytics department, but he clearly didn't do so with Rastristolainen. So, like, it's tough, to, it's tough to say. I think the Flyers have definitely dove more into – heavy data analysis over the last few years than they were under under Hextall. And that's just partially just a byproduct of the way the industry's gone. Obviously, you're getting these massive data sets. Teams have had to invest. The Flyers have the money, so why wouldn't they invest in finding ways to, you know, you know, clean the data, analyze the data, segment the data, everything like that. So so that's there and that's good. But I don't think the Flyers have have changed to the point where, you know, they went from being a team that didn't listen to the numbers and now they do listen to the numbers. Like it's it's a collaborative environment in Philly, especially under Fletcher, who's a very collaborative general manager. And that means that, like, you know, he takes into account what his analytics department says, but he also takes into account what his hockey men say. And he also takes into account what some of the key Flyers alumni that are around him say and what Dean Lombardi says. And, you know, it's it's just a piece of his decision-making process. And sometimes it wins out and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, that's why it's tough to say, you know, how much it's changed because it kind of, it's kind of has its impact on a case-by-case basis, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think yeah, I think that makes makes a lot of sense and kind of goes back to the um I mean, I think it's something for me personally just to kind of relate to that is that I've had to also I I have a uh, uh, a unique and and very big interest in the worst players in the league. I always have. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just something I really think is I don't know. It's always been very interesting and I've had to like really tone that down because I think that you can come off come off as like being really harsh, right? Like, I think, like, sometimes, like, earlier this season with Grubauer, like, I really had to tone down my, what I originally wanted to tweet out or whatever, because (laughs) it's like, this is, it's like, they're human beings, right? (laughs) It's like, we don't, you know, have any personal contact with any hockey players, right? So I can just look at hockey players, but they're all humans, right? And there's all human interactions that are going on in terms of team construction and makeup and it's it's just an interesting thing because I, I can I can relate with that very much so is like, okay, yeah, maybe don't be as biting, don't be as, you know, maybe I'll just talk about the good players. I'll just start. I, I won't talk about the bad players anymore. We'll just well, talk yeah, but about then, the good then players. Then we just talk about Austin Matthews this year, and we get, you know, criticized know. as only talking about yeah. the Leafs. So, you know, <laughs> no, you really can't. Uh... <laughs> no, it, it's funny you say that, though, because, I mean, I've certainly run into that, and you said, you know, you don't have direct access to players. Like, I do. And yeah. that absolutely, like, I, I'd like to think it doesn't make me, you know, any less critical from the sense of if a player is performing poorly, I'm going to point it out in my articles. I, I want to do that. I don't want to be, you know, hiding the fact that somebody, you know, is getting destroyed from a, you know, from expected goal standpoint or from a shot attempt standpoint or whatever. But I'm not going to be as mean about it. Like I'm not going to just like yeah. eviscerate a guy 
on Twitter just for this, just for a few laughs. laughs. Like, it, I mean, it was weird to, it was very weird. And luckily he was an extremely nice guy, but like, there's no way he didn't know. Like Andrew McDonald. I mean, I yeah. was very mean to him on Twitter, <laughs> when, you know, when I was just a blogger, I was like, I thought he was a bad defenseman who was dramatically overused by the flyers. And I did not shy away from cracking jokes at his expense on Twitter all the time. And then I started covering the team and suddenly I have to cover him, you know, in person every day. And like, we were always cordial, but like, there's no way he didn't know. Yeah. Like, there's no way he didn't know that I was like his most vehement critic. And that's why like the rest of line of thing it's it's a little bit tough for me because like i i'm going to be critical i'm going to point out his shortcomings but like i'm not going to just like rake him over the coals just for a few laughs like i might have done in my mid-20s when i wasn't covering the team on a daily basis and have to answer to this like six foot five monster who could literally (laughs) kill me if he wanted to not that he would but like there's an element of like i'd prefer not to you know make my entire job super awkward by having yeah. this guy just absolutely hate me. And he might and not I, like me, but like yeah. I don't want to be cruel about it because like I do have to cover the guy. And I again, I don't want that to, to come off as like I'm pulling my punches in the sense of like noting when a guy is struggling or noting when a guy's playing poorly, but it just makes you take a step back when you're about to send that nasty tweet and be like is this really worth it? Like, is it really worth <laughs> yeah. the hundred likes I'm going to get to, to make this a thing for the team that I cover? And like, generally speaking, the answer is no. Well, but to be fair though, you, there, there was a very clear segment of Flyers fans who also felt similarly to you as with, with about Andrew McDonald, right? Oh, I mean, I mean it was, class- I, I, I was just tossing like raw meat. It was, you know, it was <laughs> like everybody loved it. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. It probably served to increase my profile in like the Flyers Twitter world because I was willing to just utterly eviscerate Andrew McDonald on a game by game basis. But like, you do have to take up a different perspective when you're a beat writer there every day, having to interact with the player who number one are the players you're criticized but number two are friends with the guys you're criticizing so like if you're just being a dick like (laughs) somebody who even somebody who you think is a good player might not want to deal with you because they're like hey man like Rasmus is a good dude why'd you have to like say he's the worst (laughs) defenseman ever yesterday you're not gonna go scream his uh contract uh, extension numbers (laughs) out to a bunch of geese (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> I will. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, Charlie was involved in our. Uh, I, I just. I think it was you, or it might not have no, been. No, it you, was Charlie it was who nominated. I had the, never the seen geese. that before. I had seen it, but it'd been a long, long. So time. So, for listeners who don't know, <laughs> when we did the Twitter, the greatest hockey Twitter, you know, bracket March Madness, the um, there was a famous tweet of uh, I can't remember who the user was. NHL flyer. Uh, is this guy? Is this guy Scott Trauma? He's a funny guy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And it's a. It's just a video of him screaming out. Andrew McDonald, what is it? Andrew McDonald, six years. I think, he, I think he, if I remember correctly, he just screams six years, thirty million, and yeah. run, and runs at the geese that are all standing in a field with his phone, and the geese all simultaneously fly away in like yeah. sheer fear. I think it was titled "What Telling Some Geese Andrew McDonald's Contract." Or <laughs> yeah, something. it was truly one of the best vines. This was the Vine era. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and oh, it didn't do well in the era. tournament, but I think it's just because there's been so much turnover that like people yeah. don't remember just how funny that was. Yeah. Back oh, yeah. in I and, believe 2014. Well, like this was like the to... infancy of the whole thing. 
Oh, yeah, we balanced that. The, the, I mean, not to get too much off topic here, but that bracket was so funny because there's so many classic tweets from, like, say, 10 years ago or maybe even eight, seven years ago. And there were a lot of people who had never heard of them before who are newer. I mean, or there's younger, like, uh, and it was just funny having to, I found myself, like, a lot of, the one that really was confusing to some people was the salad, was Manny's salad. Yeah. There were That was so confusing many, to me at the time, I, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. I can't, the number of people who were like, I have no idea what this is about. And then it was be, like, numerous people going and explaining it. And then they would be like, I still don't understand what this tweet was. Like, why was this a thing? Why is this in this bracket? Um, but, yeah. It's, it's like, it's I, like I, you I, had to. Yeah. You had to, you had to kind of know Manny. That's yeah. the thing that you had to know the way he presented stuff on Twitter and the way he <laughs> yeah. just runs jokes into the ground. Oh to yeah, truly understand why it was as funny as it was. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But but well, I was just gonna say back to the. I, I think the other thing with Andrew McDonald is that for people that was, I remember doing some early like contract work with player value. And I remember Andrew McDonald was one of the contracts that kept coming up as like one of the worst value <laughs> signings. Uh, you know, of the, you know, in, in, I think there's one, um, there was a contract that I think was it Rob Blake signed in like 2008, or I don't 2009. know, I don't know, but there were like two and I kept seeing Andrew McDonald's contract at, as like one of the worst values. And then you signings. found, and then you found the geese tweet. Yeah. Last, last, uh, I know. You and know, I was like, Oh, ago. AMAC, everybody, every Flyers <laughs> fan used to just, just AMAC, AMAC. Everybody <laughs> said stuff about AMAC and I hadn't heard his name since the fly that, that came up again. And, but yeah, it is just to kind of get back on topic. I I completely under, understand that, and it's something from from a um, you know kind of just a relationship standpoint, right? Is like I think that it's it's probably easier to um, what is what is a saying? well, it's easier, Luke, for us to sit behind our computer, right, and throw yeah. criticism, that's, yeah, that's, and just yeah. not, yeah, just dish out, yeah, which Keyboard is why I think, warriors, yeah, evolving <laughs> uh, wild, yeah, I know, that's... and so we've probably been. Um, Overly harsh on Rasmus Ristolainen. Uh, well, at this point, I think it's. I almost am just kind of sick of it. Like it's like <laughs> this has been going on for so long when he's with the Sabers. I mean, it's like we've talked about him so much, and I just am a little bit like you know there are some other really bad players in the league now too. <laughs> like we don't just have to talk about Ristolainen all the time. But it's also I would imagine I think that this kind of came up with Keith Yandel, right? And Keith Yandel's kind of Iron Man streak yeah. is that there's you know like unfortunately his results this season have been really from the numbers standpoint have been they've been pretty rough i'm oh, not I mean, gonna they've been beyond pretty rough <laughs> yes they, and it's yeah and it's the same thing it was the exact same thing with phil kessel we see is that his numbers for the last several seasons with the coyotes uh have been beyond rough uh and i think it's just one of it's a human element with you know a streak like that i think there was some discourse coming up about that but it is something where it's like it's hard to you know if you like so we in the public we know okay they're icing this player because he has an iron man streak and so that's something where we can kind of get behind the scenes and it's very clear that's why they're playing keith yandel yeah um but that I think that those type of situations probably man- happen in other different ways that we don't know about, and so that's a very interesting point to kind of to kind of get your view on when you're covering players who have very poor statistical profiles, um, <laughs> kind of having to kind of go easy. I think that many people could probably relate to uh, <laughs> relate to that. Uh, I think uh, so. I don't know how much Flyers. I mean, I feel like so far we've only been talking about the bad. I was just kind of curious with the Flyers. Now, obviously, everyone's aware of their season. It's not maybe what 
well, it's not what anyone really expected, I think, but it's much worse than that, I think, to an extent as well. But is there still, two, I guess two-part, is there still room or reason for optimism for the Flyers organization going forward? And part two, are there any fans who are optimistic at all in any way, or is it complete doom and gloom in Philadelphia right now? Okay, well, I'll answer the second part of that question because okay. that answer is, like, I it's really, really hard to find them. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure the last two seasons have just, like, driven a stake through the heart of any remaining optimism in this fan base. I mean, it's, it's rough. You know, there was, there was somebody, I, I, I posted an article this morning, you know, basically questioning the wisdom of this concept of an aggressive retool that Chuck Fletcher, you know, said he wanted to do back in January and presumably is still the organizational plan heading into the off season. Um, and one guy, the last remaining optimist in Philadelphia wrote this like diatribe about like, actually things don't have to be so bad and you get the healthy players back and the young guys and they, they could turn this around. And then like the next 10 comments under him are just like, God, you live in a fantasy world. Like, <laughs> like he had, he had no support in the comment section whatsoever. Um, but going back to your original question about optimism, you know, it's tough to say because like, I don't think they're this bad if, you know, they don't have if – they, if they get Sean Gattieri back, if they get Ryan Ellis back, if Kevin Hayes isn't a complete shell of himself for two-thirds of the season, even when he was playing because he was clearly hampered to a ridiculous degree. Like, they're better than this. But I think where the, where the pessimism and even nihilism comes into play on the part of the fan base, which is a completely reasonable way to feel, is that – even if you get those guys back, it's not like they're moving the needle enough to turn this team into a contender. Like they may improve the team enough to put them back like on the playoff bubble or at least like not be a total disaster like they were this season. And I guess that's good because this is abysmal hockey to watch. But <laughs> if, if the goal here, which it supposedly is, is to win a championship or at least put yourself in position where, you know, on a yearly basis, you can sell your fan base that the championship could happen. You know, maybe you don't win it, but you're at least in the mix. You're selling hope. And I don't think there's a lot of hope left because it's just really hard to map out a road, like a, a pathway for them to get that good anytime soon because – you know, the the high point of, of recent Flyers history was that 2019-2020 that season where they, they ended the, the, the season. You know, obviously, the season was paused due to, due to the pandemic. But they ended that as maybe the hottest team in hockey. They obviously ended up being the first seed in the bubble, which ended up being something of a, uh, you know, a mirage. But that was the last time it looked like the Flyers were really trending upward and were, were looking like they were on the pathway to being a legitimately good team. And what's happened in the last two years is that all the young guys, basically, that looked like they were going to lead the Flyers to this new era of relevancy, they've all pretty much either stagnated or gotten worse. And the whole plan was built built around the idea of these guys leading the way. Like, Claude Giroux got traded this year, but when Claude Giroux got traded, he was still the Flyers' best player. And granted, that's in part because Sean Couturier was injured, but, like, Claude Drew at age 34 was not still supposed to be the Flyers' best player. The whole point of the rebuild or the retool that, that Hextall did, that Ron Hextall did, was that you were going to get Claude Drew some help. And then you were going to allow him to kind of play the role that he's playing in Florida right now, where he's like the fifth or sixth best player on the team. And all the young guys have stepped up and allowed him to settle in a more comfortable role for him. And 
That didn't happen because, you know, guys like Ivan Provorov, guys like Travis Konechny, guys like Carter Hart, they just haven't taken that next step. And they just look like nice players. Like, they look fine. But you need more than fine to be a contender. And all the pieces that the Flyers put all this faith in either bust it or are just fine. And that's not going to be enough. I was just in a. It's it's. I can't help but feel feel like the. This is how a lot of the wild fans were with Fletcher in like the mid 2010s with this idea around their young core. And granted, I think that the Wild under Fletcher were a little better. Um, I think they had a, a a different team, obviously. But it is kind of funny that the parallels, and I can't help but think about the Fletcher with the Wild and Fletcher with the Flyers, and hearing these similar. Uh, and, and not necessarily criticism, but you summarizing how people feel about the team is that's how a lot of people felt about the Wild. With you know they they had they had touted like Charlie Coyle and Eric Halla and Mikhail Granlin were supposed to be these, and then they you know and granted yeah they, they just they, basically you know, became fine players yeah and then right? they, you they know, weren't sounds, like yeah, yeah. they weren't like anything close to a Claude Giroux type player right? is that it's, I guess Mike is that a Fletcher thing or do you think that's just a, a hockey thing is that just a like is like what I'm I'm just kind of trying to see if there's any parallel between Fletcher in Minnesota and Fletcher and the Flyers in terms of their approach. I mean, there's obviously a parallel because it's the same guy, and he's yeah, kind of yeah. done the same thing in the two separate places. That said, I do think he was hired. You know, when he was hired, he was hired to basically be Hextall but more aggressive. And Hextall's whole plan was to depend on the kids. So in a lot of ways, he was kind of just, you know, perpetuating the plan that Hextall had already put into place, which placed a lot of faith in the quality of all these kids that they had drafted and developed and, and, and brought up and was going to com- comprise the next core. Um, so you can't totally separate that out that, like, I don't know if this is inherent to Chuck Fletcher as a person because he probably did fully trust in the Minnesota people because he's the one who got them all. And then in Philly, he trusted in the, uh, you know, the, the young players that he inherited because they were highly touted guys who were all supposed to be real good. And they just didn't turn out to be as good. So the, the, the situations are a little bit different, but maybe there's something inherent to the way Chuck Fletcher looks at the game and looks at development that leads him to be more optimistic than he should be about outcomes of development, that's, in my mind, potentially a salient critique because, again, it's happened in two separate places. That said, I mean, the the, the tragedy of the Chuck Fletcher tenure in Minnesota, which, I mean, is funny on, on two levels. Number one is that he did build a really good team and then they get upset in the first round, and that was the one team that probably did have the, the ability to go all the way. And number two, he did actually draft a superstar. He just never got to see yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. been funny. I, I had a We've had a few people who are like, now I think they maybe don't remember what Fletcher was like in Minnesota. And I don't know if they're Flyer fans. It's kind of a mixture of people. But they're like, assume that Fletcher was bad in Minnesota because he's bad for the Flyers now. And that's how a lot of people seem to view it a little bit. But it is funny to remind people. It's like, well, no, he did get Jared Spurgeon. You know, he did draft Capri. He did trade for Nino Niederreiter for basically nothing. I mean, like these things that actually were, you know, he drafted a pretty good team. So it is funny. Yeah, Kaprizov is interesting because it's like, I mean, obviously, I think that could just be be chalked up to sheer luck. Yeah, I think that was, you know, I do think, yeah, probably. But like if he's going in the fifth round, that's a lot of people missing on a player. And I know it is a Russian player and there's all, you know, but anyway. Anyway, so I have a question. So I like to look at kind of maybe under underrepresented or underappreciated players on on the Flyers, and I, I was just very uh, um, very surprised by Travis Sanheim. Yeah. So I have that seems because I would my question was what is kind of the are there any bright spots? And it seems to me that Travis Sanheim and his kind of stable performance over the last several years 
is maybe something to kind of look forward to. I think he's 25 right now. And he's been, yeah, I don't hear anything about Travis Sanheim, and a lot of our models seem to really like his at least even strength play. Um, you know, I think maybe he hasn't been getting as much time on the power play to really evaluate that. But uh, I'm just kind of curious, like, your thoughts, like, with, like, anything. Are there other players that I think that Flyers fans can look forward to um, or have been maybe going under the radar this season just because of how terrible everything else has gone? Um, yeah, it's a tough question. Uh, Sandheim's fascinating to me, um, because yeah, I think Sandheim's been, been really good this year. You know, he's been saddled with Ristolainen for a lot of the year and he's still putting up strong numbers. And, um, I think he's taken a real step forward ever since Elaine Vino was let go. Uh, his, his even strength offense has really come around, um, in the wake of the coaching change. And I, and I don't think that's a coincidence by any means. Uh, but also you know, Sandheim has been a weird guy. And, and I, I broke this down in my analysis after his season last year where he's been weird because before this season, every year of his career, if you looked at his raw, you know, his raw spectacles for versus actual goals for his his actual goals for percentage on ice always underperformed his expected. And, you know, there's an element of that where you do start to wonder when it's going on four seasons of that, you know, is there something, you know, is could it just be an outlier? Could it just be that, you know, he's had bad luck? Yeah, absolutely. There, there's going to be people on, on the bell curve who are just unlucky for a long time. But you, you'd start to wonder if, like, is there something there that the model is missing in terms of like when he makes mistakes, they're real, real bad and they have a higher likelihood than the model can catch of them turning into goals against. And I do think there was an element of that that was probably true to a degree because he does have some Jake Gardner to him, like Jake Gardner with the Leafs where like, (laughs) I mean, Hey, like real good player, but like when he makes a mistake, it's going to be all over the, you know, all over the internet because it's so bad. It's so, so dumb. Yeah. And, and I Sorry. think there was some some of that with, with Sanheim. Well, this year, I mean, not to say he hasn't made mistakes, because every defense is going to make mistakes, but he's definitely kept those big glaring ones to a minimum. And seeing what he's done with Ristolainen by his side for a long period of time, and then what he's done without Ristolainen, which has been really, really good, you know, you, you start to think, like, you know, this is a guy who... At, I've always viewed Sanheim as, like, a really, really good number three, and I still, generally speaking, think that's his ideal role on, like, a cup contender. But... The Flyers are trying to do this aggressive retool, and they're going to have to make some tough decisions. And if, like, one of the tough decisions is let's try Travis Sanheim as a top pair defenseman because that's the only, like, trading away Ivan Provorov is the only way we have any chance of getting a high-end forward to, to complement the guys we already have. Like, yeah, you know what? As I've said in, in – I said this on Twitter. I said this in an article. Like, at the very least, that's a smarter risk. You know, get betting that Travis Sanheim can do better in tougher usage – can do or at least do as well as he's doing now on top of use. That's a better risk than trading for Rastafari Salina and thinking he'll be good if you just change his scenery and put him on the second pair rather than oh. the first pair. Like, like it's not destined to work, but it at least has a chance. There's a better chance yeah. of, of the risk they already thought was smart to take last summer. Yeah, very much so. I think it's uh, it's kind of funny. We've talked about this before. I think maybe with uh, somebody like Vince Dunn, it's a similar thing you see with defensemen who are performing really well in lower pair situations and like we've talked about this how the models they're not built to like oh well if you move them into a completely different role then that is they're going to perform the same it's like well it doesn't really work that way because that's not how (laughs) right that's not how the it's like it's not saying that when that 
there's a lot of things that you cannot account for, right? And you yeah. kind of talked about that with REPM. It's um, and so we're kind of saying that well, they the coaches or the role that they've been used in has worked out really well for them, accounting for as many things as we can. And so we would expect if they're in the same role that they're going to be performing at kind of the same level. But like you said, it is a gamble. Like when you're going to be moving someone from like a second or third line role or pairing role up to a first line role, well, then they're going to be having very different um, you know, situations and they're going to be with different players. And yeah, so th- I definitely think that's that's a kind of interesting interesting thing that would be to, interesting to see what the Flyers do with Sanheim, especially because he's a young and, and has been very promising defenseman. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. Well, we're getting a little bit close to the end of time. Sean, I was going to see if you had a, uh, another hockey question before I ask a question, of, a music question to Charlie, where we completely <laughs> you change. The, you can go with the music question. I, I, I don't think you know that I love tra- Travis uh, Sanheim, so we got, we got my stuff out of the I way. didn't know <laughs> that. I think We've I never talked about him on here before. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know how he's just that. one of those like <laughs> he's one of those players like I was just realizing like Noah Dobson is having a really good season and I was yeah. like who is Noah Dobson? <laughs> no. Like I was who, no who I, really is he means like who's like won a Royal Cup. <laughs> See, well, you know junior hockey, dude. Like you know we're, us with junior hockey. We're not going down this yeah, okay. this rabbit hole here right now. Uh, uh, so Charlie and Luke and I and Charlie have had a uh, now we don't really debate too much. We just have a, a certain. Uh, uh, I guess history of liking indie music for a while, among other things. Um, I was just curious, why is, uh, in your opinion, is in the airplane over the sea the greatest indie album ever made? And if not, why? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a fantastic record. Um, it's one of those. It, I will say, with the in the airplane over the sea, it's one of those albums where. I probably respect it more than I love it. Like, I don't find myself listening to it that often, even though when I listen to it, I think it's great. And I acknowledge, you know, the impact it's had on the community and obviously, you know, just its overall quality. I think it's a really, really good record, but it's not one that I find myself coming back to all that often. And maybe that's in part because, like, it's pretty heavy subject material. Um, But also, it's just not one of my, like, personal favorites even if i would consider it to be a 10 out of 10 record i mean i do but i yeah. just i can't remember like it's probably been a couple years honestly since i've listened to it oh really yeah. i guess yeah it is it is a heavy record like i can't i can't listen sean take notes here while we're giving you recommendations <laughs> for albums yeah. to listen to yeah good taste alert yeah <laughs> <laughs> we no, we I'm joke we don't talk enough about uh, music on here and it's mostly because we were trying to explain on a previous podcast what uh, what like like technical thrash metal was to Sean and he had never <laughs> heard of that. Well, I, I wouldn't uh, be able to help too much there to be honest. <laughs> but my my metal least... knowledge is severely lacking. Okay, I got a question, Charlie. What is your? Um, let me see. Uh, well, hold on. You said you had a question. And now I you're did, but now, but then I interrupted myself. <laughs> so, did we? Did you argue? There's already Josh, two you, of you guys. Uh, yeah, I interrupt <laughs> yourself. <laughs> Josh, were you arguing with Charlie on Twitter? Is I that had, why yeah, you I found asked one. That? So, I, 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 Charlie, I, I went and found this tweet ahead of time, but it's a very specific thing that was basically like I had a. I think it was a tweet about Bon Iver's Forever Forever Go, and I okay. said how it's like kind of hard to account for, like. I think you can't really overstate how much influence that had on like 2010s, like indie music. And then Charlie, I think you responded and said, "I would really love to debate this with you face to face." Yeah, meet me outside. And I think at the time I was a little bit. Uh, yeah, meet me outside. Meet me outside. <laughs> 
about yeah about one like a I don't know soft rock yeah I don't know do you call forever forever ago soft rock record anyway I was curious That's what fine. your take was on that if you remember that interaction at all um, or... I honestly do not which tells okay. me it was probably like a two thirty a.m. I it was drink I have been drinking tweet and it was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know kind of where I was going with that the only thing I could think of is that you know forever 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 ago is like it's one of those records where the to me the biggest influence it had is that it had that like brief period where like artists wanted to like go into the forest and like i'm gonna go i'm gonna i'm gonna go shut myself away and make a classic record and like that's what i'm gonna do and um and i think it had an influence there but like at its core it's basically just like a guy with an acoustic guitar record so like i don't know how influential that can really be like i don't i don't think anybody was really taking you know justin vernon's lyrical styles and copying them because like how can you it's a very unique lyrical style and the music wasn't anything groundbreaking maybe the aesthetic was you know maybe the aesthetic was copied um but i don't necessarily think that it was like hyper influential in the way that like like and i don't even really like this genre but in the way that like chill wave was where it just felt like that like everybody had to add those sounds into yeah, their yeah. music during that oh, era what a time. because because that's what was big and somehow that was a thing and I, i'm a i'm a vehement hater of chill wave i didn't like it at the time <laughs> i still don't i still don't like it and i will argue that that's part of the reason why indie rock kind of died out in the early 2010s because i would it just, agree with that it just got real yeah. friggin' boring and yeah. I say this as a fan of the national, but like it got real, <laughs> real boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because that that I think my original take on on Forever Forever Go, I've thought about it since then a little bit and reevaluated it, and I think I do agree with you now. I think at the time I'm like, oh well, this is clearly. But one of the things that also happened, like you said in in 2010s, was like this. It, it was almost like this, like any music. What was that in the, one album with like the? Was it the like washed out? What yeah, was the, washed, washed out, out was an old, yeah, yeah, old yeah. Chill Wave band, or like Twin Shadow, maybe. Maybe I'm thinking of a different band, or maybe that was a different thing. Anyway, I think it's a different Luke thing. Completely interrupted me, and now <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Oh, uh, it was. I think the other thing was like also kind of post. I always think about like Meriwether, like Post Pavilion is like one of the last like big indie records before it almost went a little bit more commercial which is also kind of that chill wave and then a lot of the influence of kind of almost dulling down that late 2000s kind of like american yeah. indie um is really what uh, uh where a lot of that i've always talked wanted to if i was a not in hockey i may have started writing my book on that the 20 the, the indie music of the 21st century because i find the the um lineage very interesting but i'd read it um yeah, <laughs> well, you'd be you'd be maybe the one better. Yeah, you'd be than, the one to write that. Yeah. You're the writer. We can't write Fair. anything. Fair. So I was in a my. I guess my last question is: Have you gotten any other members of Animal Collective to track uh, hockey events? For you? <laughs> no, no, uh, it's just uh, just geologists. Um, that's that whole that whole thing is still just so bonkers to me that that. Yeah, happened. I, does Sean know this? Sean, are you paying attention? No, snap, he's not. Snap. So I was are actually you... doing research on the people you're talking about. <laughs> oh, well, take, yeah, take notes. He's taking notes. Yeah. They're good albums. They're good uh, albums. Do you remember that Charlie got a band, like a member of a band, of a kind of any band to do some hockey work? Do you remember that at all? Yes, but I don't remember who. That was a great article. It was. But that was the four checking project. Yeah, it was the four checking project I did during quarantine. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that project because it said NAK was good. Yeah. And I love NAK. Yeah. He was awesome that year and then was bad yeah. and now is kind of good again in Colorado. It's well, almost like the fires of flyers or a dumpster fire almost. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone who hasn't checked it out, go go read, uh, I mean, all of Charlie's work. But, specific, but that article in question was uh, 
geologist is a hockey fan uh, who's a member of a band, Animal Collective, and he uh, helped Charlie. I don't remember exactly what the it entailed fully, but uh, it's a really, really great article, and it's very funny, the whole situation and scenario of how it came about. Kind of just, I think, because there's a certain section of hockey stats, Twitter, kind of, that has, like, you know, everybody, I mean, I think it's, Everybody has an opinion about Radiohead. It's kind of like that thing where it's like <laughs> everyone, like a lot of people like Animal Collective in this, like, you know, or, or appreciate them. Um, so it's kind of a funny thing to see, like, you know, the two worlds kind of like meld together where like the musicians like hockey and the hockey people like use the musician. It's just yeah. a, <laughs> kind of a, a weird thing that I never expected would be, you know, even a thing. But, but yeah, it would we have to sense. stop. We, we were way past time. I don't want to take much more of your time, <laughs> yeah. Charlie. So we could talk about music forever. Maybe could, maybe probably. in the off season we'll have you on. Uh, Sean will have a notebook out taking notes about everything <laughs> we write. We talk about uh, and then he can kind of do research and we'll make it a thing, I guess. <laughs> I, right. I, I don't know uh, if Sean's too into that, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, think I don't Sean know. Maybe maybe you can do a separate episode without me, and I'll maybe you'll do it when I'm in Singapore. Yes, we'll do that. We'll do that. That All would right. be fun. Yes, <laughs> Charlie could be the special guest host. Well, thank you so, so much for uh, coming on, Charlie, and uh, dealing with the twins and their um, tangents. And uh, have a good rest of the season. And uh, and yeah. Oh, do you have anything? Oh, we should. We have to do this. We have to be better about this, Sean. Is is well, we gotta true. give. Char, but I think everybody knows who Charlie is. I know. I know. Do you have anything that you want to plug specifically, or anything that you want people to check out, or maybe something that's coming out in the next month or two that you are excited about? Um, I, I wouldn't say anything in particular. But obviously, I have some features I'm working on, and you know, hopefully, they'll be out in the the relatively near future. But not really. You know, I'm not even gonna waste my breath plugging the athletic because I mean, it's <laughs> there's that there's enough of that that's been done. Um, but obviously, that's where I write for. I also, you know, am. I'm a full-time co-host of BSH Radio. That's my remaining link to Broad Street Hockey. Uh, that's with uh, with Steph Driver, Kelly Hinkle, and Bill Matz. And, uh, and I'm really proud of that show and what we built it into. So if you want to hear about the Flyers and how far things have fallen, that's probably a good place to start if you're not a big article person because we do our flagship show every week, and, uh, and I'm really proud of what we do. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Charlie. Thanks so much. We'll Charlie. definitely have to do it again at some point, whether it's hockey or music conversations. Yeah, one or the other. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs> <laughs>